In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favor one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the same, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Welcome to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics, where the conversation always gives you a foundation that is built on biblical principles, so you can intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, and the reality we live in and history. Covers topics like apologetics worldviews, contemporary culture, and the Word of God to help you articulate a defense for how to live your Christian life. See how you can get involved and support Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com. That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com. Now here's your host, Stacy. Don't you know love, love can stay silent. It's got a way Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in this morning. Thank you for joining us with Throughout All Ages Ministry, where I'm interview pastors, ministry leaders um, in Southern California and beyond as they share their testimony and vision. And if you feel that you should be on our show because you have a magnificent God-glorifying ministry, call us at 858-795-4585. I'm very excited about my guest today. His name is Ray Comfort founder and CEO of Living Waters, and best-selling author, has written more than 100 books, including the Evidence Study Bible, which I own, and he is the co-host of the award-winning television program, Way of the Master, which airs in over 190 countries. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ray. Lots of pleasure, Stacey. Great to be on the program. Yeah. So can you share uh, with our listeners a little briefly about your testimony and how you came to the Lord? Yeah, I'm brought up in a uh, family that had no Christian instruction whatsoever. My mom was a 
full Jew, and she married a Gentile, got ostracized by a family, and so they didn't give me any, quote, religious instruction whatsoever. And so I think, I think I went to church three times in 22 years. And the highlight when I was about 10 years old was when a friend took me to church and around Christmas, and the, the uh, wine came around. It was real alcohol wine, and it hit me in the back of the throat, and I thought that was the highlight of the church, and the rest was very boring. It made no sense whatsoever. Age of about 20, I had an epiphany. I thought, hang on, I'm going to die. Everyone's dying. And I thought, I'm part of the olden statistic. What is this death thing? And it was like I was skipping through a field of flowers, just loving life, and suddenly I hit a big black wall with death written across it and blood. And I tried to look over it, couldn't see over it, looked to the side, couldn't see around it. And I lost hope, just like uh, Solomon, kind of in, the, in, in Ecclesiastes, where he said, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Very successful businessman, very happy, but I could see my happiness bubble was going to be pricked by the sharp pin of reality in time. And uh, I cried out one night, oh, oh, God, and I wasn't even praying to God, but I was just looking to the heavens and saying, why? Life makes no sense because of death. And then six months later, I was on a surfing trip, and a young guy, new Christian, shared the gospel with me. And the thing that cut my heart was the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, you've heard it said by them of old, you shall not commit adultery. And I remember thinking, well, I'll make it to heaven if there is one, because I've never committed adultery. But then I read the words, but I say to you, whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery already with her in his heart. And it was like an arrow hit my chest. I thought, woe is me, I'm undone. If that's, God, if that's God's standard, and I'm going to stand before him on judgment day, I'm going to hell. Because I was a typical young man who was filled with unlawful sexual desire, lusting after every woman I could see. And, and I, 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 uh, I was horrified at my sin. And that's when I understood the cross. And until that time, I had no understanding as to why Christ died. Uh, and became a Christian. And uh, then, with all my heart, began sharing with everybody, and I've been doing it for uh, what, nearly over 50 years now. Wow, I love it. It kind of, I was 15, 14 years old when I had a, a friend, a group of kids, we were all hanging out, and there was this football player, and he was very depressed, drunk, and uh, he wanted to die. And I looked at him as a 14-year-old and said, why would he want to die? He, it seems like he has everything. But I realized that he didn't have Jesus. And at that moment, the verse came to me, the road that leads to destruction is death, and the road that leads to life is through Jesus Christ. And at that time, I made that decision to follow after Christ and been following him. But I really want to key in as when people sin, and they're a Christian, and that really came to you when you realized that you were a sinner and you can't continue in the sin. But there are Christians out there who uh, are in sexual sin. They're practicing sin. They may even lying or uh, stealing or um, being unfaithful. But my thought how can you be a Christian and continue or practice sin, Ray? You can't. It's called hypocrisy. It's a pretender, someone who names the name of Christ but doesn't depart from iniquity. It's self-deception. And, uh, and it's evident, well, the problem is they lack the fear of God. In Romans chapter 3, 
It speaks of the universal state of mankind. It says there's none who understand, there's none that seek after God. They all together become unprofitable. And then it says they drink iniquity, they love to sin. And it climaxes with the words, there is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the problem. The scriptures say men depart from evils through the fear of the Lord. It was only when I feared God, when I realized I'd sinned against him, that I cried out for forgiveness. I wouldn't have done that if I didn't fear God. And so what we've done for the last 50, 60, 70 years in America is painted a kind of celestial Santa Claus, um, a divine butler. God's supposed to come running when you click your fingers, but he's nothing like that. And when I witnessed to people, I'll often, I did it yesterday with a guy, and it really resonated with him. I said, do you think God is happy with you or angry at you? And he said, whoa, good question. And I said, how you answer me will be dependent on your image of God. If you think of him as a divine butler, then you'll say he's happy with me. But if you see him as a judge, which the Bible actually paints him as, the judge of the universe, and you have to stand before him, then you'll begin thinking, wow, God is angry at me. So we went through the commandments and it opened his heart and uh, ended up praying with him. And so it's essential that we go back and say, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do when it came to sharing the gospel? Because we make a huge mistake. Let me just share something that's a little strange with you, but it it might resonate in a minute. Um, There's a right way and a wrong way to crack an egg. I used the wrong way for many, many years. I would crack an egg on the edge of a frying pan. That's the wrong way. Because God's placed a film on the inside of the shell, and if you crack it on the edge of a frying pan, you break that film, and the shell will go into your egg. It'll be a distasteful experience. Horrible, getting shell in your omelet. The right way to crack an egg is to crack it on a flat surface, so you keep that film intact that holds onto the shell. And there's a right way and a wrong way to crack open a sinner. The Bible says there's none that seek after God. There's none that understand. They love darkness. They hate the light. Romans 8 verse 7 says they're in a place of enmity against God. So it's essential that we don't do it the wrong way. And I believe the wrong way is to stay with the human intellect that carnal mind that's at enmity against God. against God, And that is, by that I mean, just stay with uh, addressing his carnal mind with arguments about the existence of God, the infallibility of Scripture, mm. <clears throat> evolution and creationism, etc. You'll probably end up with a distasteful experience if you stay with that. And I often I begin with that, but I don't stay with that. I do what Jesus did and go to the conscience. That's the right way to crack open a sinner. You speak to his conscience because the conscience affirms the truth of the commandment. It shows him that he sinned against God and that he needs a savior. And that's what's been lacking for many years, saying to yourself, what did Jesus do? We're told to imitate him. I'm going to imitate him and do what he did with the rich young ruler and open the commandments. I'm going to do what he did in the Sermon on the Mount. And that whole sermon is an amplification of God's law. He came to magnify the law and make it honorable. And so we must imitate Jesus if we want to see the results that Jesus had genuine conversions and not hypocrites that sit amongst God's people as tears among the wheat, foolish virgins among the wise, bad fish among the good, goats among the sheep that will be sorted out on the day of judgment. Yeah. I hear Christians say when I'm witnessing that Jesus is so loving that he will bypass my sin. They go to church, they live life, maybe pick up the Bible occasionally, pray short prayers, but they say they're practicing sin, and they say, oh, Jesus is so loving. He will not put me in hell for my practicing sin. What do you say about that? 
Yeah, there's some real scary in Scripture, and that is the Bible speaks of something called another Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's very applicable to contemporary society because people have got an image of Jesus that's like he's a, a sweet, sort of nice, divine, I don't know what. But the Scripture um, reveals that Jesus is different than most people think he is. He's the one that the Bible says he's coming. The same Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven in flaming fire to render his anger with fury upon those that don't obey the gospel. That's what Scripture says in Second Thessalonians chapter 1. It says, uh, his wrath will come upon those who don't obey the gospel. And so being a Christian means being obedient. We're not obedient to be saved. We're obedient because we're saved. Scripture says of Jesus, uh, he was the author of eternal salvation to all that obey him. And so a Christian is someone who's yielded to the Lordship of Christ. They're not the ones on the day of judgment who will hear the words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. Those who know the Lord are quick to obey him because they've been given a new heart with new desires. So a genuine Christian thirsts after righteousness. He or she still battles sin, as we all do, but there's something in us that says, oh, I want to please the God that gave me life more than anything, and we strive to do that. There are certain things that accompany salvation. If your tree, uh, you've purchased a, an apple tree and it doesn't bear apples, you're going to cut it down because it's messing up the ground. And that's what the scriptures say about every tree that brings not forth good fruit will be cut down and cast into the fire. So there are certain fruit that should evidence that you're soundly saved, the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of praise, the fruit of thanksgiving, the fruit of the Spirit, and uh, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, generous, faith, meekness, and temperance. All those things should be evident in the life of a Christian. And those that don't have that evidence need to examine themselves and see if they're in the faith. And if they're not, they need to get before the Lord and say, Oh, God, take my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. Give me a thirst for righteousness. Let me, uh, let me have those things that accompany salvation. So when I'm on my deathbed, I won't face it in terror, but I'll face it in faith and trusting in your word. Yeah. You, come, you came out with the way of the master that equips and trains Christians to share the gospel because so many, I think it's like only 2% of the church share the gospel. And one thing I love when we, it really opens the eyes to those we're witnessing to is when you say, if you were to go before a judge and you committed a crime, you're going to have to pay that penalty if um, you can't, you get the penalty of this crime. And it really resonates when they look at that, a judge or a police officer who has authority, but Jesus far more in authority, why would Jesus bypass their sin? And um, as, as we look at Christians and say, they say, hey, but I'm not perfect how can I live this life without sinning or practicing sin? What would you say to them? Yeah, being a Christian means um, perpetual repentance. Repentance can't save us. If you're in court and you've committed a serious crime and you say, Judge, I know I'm guilty, but I'm really sorry. I won't do it again. The judge is going to say you should be sorry. Of course you shouldn't do it again. You're going to jail. So repentance can't save your man's court but it can't save you on judgment day. However, repentance is the fruit of salvation. The Bible says repent and believe. That's how we come to Christ. We're saved by grace alone, grace through faith. But we come through the medium of faith and repentance. The Bible speaks of 
repentance unto life. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that repentance is perpetual. I, I, I repent dozens of times each day, I guess. I'm not sure I don't count it. But I've, I've got wandering eyes. I've got a wandering heart. I don't love my neighbor as much as I love myself. And I'm continually saying, Lord, please forgive me. Help me to be careful with my eyes. Be careful what I listen to. Be careful what I say. That's uh, bearing the fruit of repentance. And that's what should be evident in the life of every Christian. You don't want to give yourself to sin and hear the words of Jesus, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. That's lawlessness. I never knew you. And it comes back to the moral law, the Ten Commandments. That's upon which, which everything hangs. That's why Jesus died, because we've broken that law and sinned against him, sinned against God, and we need his mercy. Yes, we do. So what does it look like to be a Christian? Right? It's, to have beautiful, it's to have beautiful feet. <laughs> you know, that's a, it's, it's a wonderful scripture. It's in Isaiah and in Romans. It says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. I don't know if you want to do this. Don't do it now. But take your shoes off. Look at your feet. They're really ugly. They're lowly and ugly, especially the end toes. They look like reject jelly beans. However, the Bible says if you proclaim the gospel of peace, if you take the message of everlasting life to this dying world, God considers those lowly, ugly feet to be beautiful. And then it says in the same scripture in Isaiah, how beautiful on the mountains are those who preach the gospel of peace. There's no higher calling in life than to proclaim the gospel. Surgeons save lives. Presidents run countries, usually. But the Christian is elevated even higher because we touch into eternity. When we share the gospel with an unsaved person and they come to Christ, they are someone who has found everlasting life. And, uh, and so we've got to realize how high that calling is and say, Lord, I'm not going to listen to my fears. I'm going to ignore them. And I'm going to be a true and faithful witness. Yes, I love it. So you've been sharing the gospel over about 50 years, Ray? Yeah. So, yeah, 50, 50. so when you share the gospel, is, <clears throat> does it just come natural to you now? And when you see someone, you just go up and share the gospel with them. How does that work? Well, my criteria as to who I speak to is, are they breathing? If they're breathing, then I'll share the gospel with them. If they're not, it's too late. Um, I battle my fears every time I go out. I have discouragement. Always those negative thoughts. There are fears there, but I ignore them. Like a firefighter when he arrives at a fire and someone's on the first story screaming for help, he doesn't say, oh, that looks scary. I'm going home. No, I don't want to climb a 60-foot ladder. No, he doesn't think like that. He ignores his fears because he's a firefighter. He's signed up for that. And the Bible likens the Christian to a firefighter. It says in the book of Jude, others having compassion, and that's the key, save with fear, pulling them from the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. So just sign up as a Christian, ignore your fears, look to the fate of the ungodly, be concerned about them, love them enough to speak to them. Well, what if a Christian comes up to you and says, hey, Ray, I go and I tell, try to pass out a track, they turn their face, they don't want to listen to me, no one's listening to me to share the gospel I'm about to give up. Yeah, um, this is the key that's helped me more than anything else uh, when it comes to evangelism. I, I've got the gift of uh, an imagination, a, a crazy imagination. I once saw an uh, Alsatian, sorry, a German shepherd uh, in the, on the road in front of me. It was about oh, 200 yards on the road. I could see it. And as I got closer, I could see its head had been hit. I could see its ears. I could, it was just a horrible sight. 
And uh, as I approached, it was an old jacket that someone had left on the middle of the road, fell off a bike probably, and my imagination just went crazy over it. And so what we've got to do is take no notice of our imaginations. And my imagination will take a Zacchaeus and make him into a Goliath in two seconds. I say, I'll go and witness that guy. <gasps> he becomes a Goliath. And what I do is go up to him, and instead of thinking, how am I going to bring the subject of God up, I just say, hey, how you doing? He says, good. I say, what's your name? Fred. Fred, I've got a question for you. Do you think there's an afterlife? That's the key for me. I haven't mentioned God, Jesus, heaven, hell, the Bible, sin, righteousness, judgment, all those things that make him and me feel a little uncomfortable. I've just said, Fred, do you think there's life after death? If you watch our videos, I say it all the time. As I begin our interview, and I think the channel's got 268 million views, you can see again and again how easy it is to open the heart of a complete stranger by just saying, do you think there's life after death? Everyone's got an opinion. They'll say, I don't know. That's an opinion. So you don't know? Does death scare you? And you'll see their eyes widen. Then I said, does death scare you? Mom and dad don't know. Brother and sister or boyfriend, girlfriend. But this person is terrified of death. It's their secret elephant in the room. And they think about it all the time. And suddenly we're talking about it. And they say, yeah, I am. So what are you scared of? Well, you have to leave this life and everything you hold secure. So when you die, what's going to happen to you? Do you think you'll make it to heaven? Are you a good person? And they say, yeah, I'm a good person. Most people do. And that's when you open up the Ten Commandments and show them that lust is adultery, hatred is murder, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, thieves won't inherit God's kingdom. And to use name, God's name in vain is to use God's holy name as a cuss word, punishable by death in the Old Testament. That brings the knowledge of sin and shows them they need a savior. So that's the key. Ask any stranger or Uncle Arthur at the Christmas table, do you think there's an afterlife? Do you think there's life after death? You're asking for his opinion. You're not preaching at him. You want to hear what he thinks, and that appeals to his ego, and it opens the heart to the gospel. Wow, wonderful. Okay, um, Ray, as we wrap this up, you guys have a podcast. And how um, how is that going? It's very, very popular. We're, we're amazed at how popular it's become, one of the most popular Christian podcasts in the world. Uh, it's actually four guys, four idiots, talking about things that matter. And as you listen to the podcast, you'll think, how did I get into this? This is crazy. For about 10 minutes, we're just like typical idiot guys talking as guys talk, and people just love it. And then we go to things that are deadly serious, and then we come back to a little bit of laughs, and people like that format. So it's, it's a Living Waters podcast. And uh, we're excited to have the opportunity to do it. I think we're up to about two or 300 podcasts. So wow. Anything upcoming, a new book, movie, <clears throat> event? Yes. Yeah, we're, we're having an outreach in Paris at the Olympics. Where if, uh, someone just gave $100,000 earlier this week towards it, uh, where we're having gospel tracts printed for Europe. They're Olympic millions for Europe, for Britain, for Australia, and for the U.S., beautifully designed gospel tracks. We had an outreach in London earlier this year. 22 million, sorry, that'd be good, 22,000 people gave out uh, coronation tracks uh, of King Charles on that one day around the world. And I think this will be bigger because the Olympics are absolutely massive. 3,000 million people watch. That's 3 billion people tune into the Olympics. And so uh, it's a wonderful opportunity and people can find out details at livingwaters.com forward slash Paris livingwaters.com forward slash Paris wow that's wonderful um, 
exciting to show up and to go to Paris to witness at the Olympics. Thank you so much, Ray, for joining us. And um, I just want to wish you all a Merry Christmas as it's coming up. And think about Jesus coming, for he was born as a child. His son was given, and the government will be upon his shoulders And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is our Savior, and he came to save us. And we do care about those that are perishing. So look at your life, turn from your sins, and put your trust in Jesus. Thank you for joining us with Throughout All Ages Ministry, and we'll see you next time. This has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. You can learn more about your host, Stacy Gaona, and how to support and get involved with 1530 Apologetics by visiting throughoutallagesministries.com. That's throughoutallagesministries.com. Join Stacy again next week. Look for Stacy on any podcast platform under Throughout All Ages. Please subscribe and leave a review. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Jesus. Throughout All Ages Ministry, 1530 Apologetics goes into the public high school to build up the students' character to intellectually think about their worldview and weigh it with truth. Studies show 75 to 85 percent of all college students who grew up in a Christian home are walking away from their faith. For more information about 1530 Apologetics, go to throughoutallages.com.